I know you believe in God. I know you believe in truths or facts about God, but do you believe God? Because I think that question is at the heart of one of the most popular Bible stories recorded in Scripture. There was this one very insignificant, at least to his brothers and the culture, I mean his own dad even forgot about him, shepherd boy. One insignificant shepherd boy believed God. While the armies of Israel and the anointed king Saul himself believed in God. Here's the difference. Believing in God leaves you standing a safe distance away just waiting for the enemy to come out and to tempt you. Come down here and fight me. Believing God has you running directly toward the enemy to face it. That's the story of David and Goliath. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to read sections of this. I I think the whole chapter is like 58, 60 verses, something like that. We're going to read chunks of it because we just don't have time to get into all of it. 1 Samuel chapter 17, we'll start in verse 4. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for gathering us together to open up your recorded word so that it could speak directly into our lives. Father, I pray that as we as we talk about some fun facts, as we talk about some different thoughts on this, we walk out of here with the understanding that believing in you is not the same as believing you. And may we be a people who live our lives believing you. So speak to us today, God. As we hear a story that we've heard countless times over and over. Let it meet us where we are. We love you, Father. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his leg, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? I, am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight one another. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. All right, so we got the two nations, 
Israelites, the Philistines, man, they're squaring off in battle. It's not the first time that they've met. It's just the next time that they have met. And both have positioned themselves on opposite ridges with a valley in between. This certainly favored the Israelites because, get this, they only had two swords in the whole country. And to get to the Israelites, the Philistines would have to go down the hill into the valley up the other side to get them, right? Either one would going to have to do this or they would have to, to flank them from a very long way out of their way to come around. And, and so if they were going to come through the valley, this gave the Israelites the tactical advantage because why? They didn't have swords. They didn't have javelins. They didn't have armor. You know what they had? Slings and rocks. That's what they fought with. You can go check it out. Chapter 13, 1 Samuel tells the story of why they only had two swords. So you've got one army set up on this ridge. You've got one army set up on this ridge. And this Goliath, who had some brothers. Think about raising that family, right? I mean, you're raising four giants in the house. Think about feeding them. That's, that's crazy. This giant named Goliath comes out and he's called a champion. And he's not called a champion because he's tall. And he's bigger than everybody else. Warriors were called champions when they killed hundreds, at least a hundred men a year for so many, and I can't remember exactly what it is, consecutive years in a row, like 10 years in a row. If you kill a hundred men 10 years in a row, you are considered a champion. And you're referred to as a champion. It, it has nothing to do with necessarily his size. Now, his size certainly helped beat the hundred men, okay, because he's a big dude. Six cubits in a span. He's almost 10 feet tall, right? Like NBA teams are lining up. We're throwing down major money. We want that dude on our team. You read this text, there's a lot of bronze mentioned. There's a lot of bronze mentioned here because the Philistines were one of the very first countries to ever mix tin and copper and form it into weapons known as bronze weaponry. And at the time, it was one of the superior metals to make weapons with. So the Philistines were experts at taking tin and copper and having their blacksmiths melt it down, form weapons. Goliath's spear weighed about 120 pounds. Think about that. Uh, you know, me in the fourth grade. Every day, for 40 days, Goliath would come out. He'd get his armor on, he would come out, and each morning he would walk down into the, the valley and he would challenge the Israelites. Are you not the servants of Saul? Now, now remember Saul. We didn't talk about Saul a whole lot last week, but remember the details that we did talk about Saul last week. Saul was a head taller than everybody. He was a good-looking dude. He he he. he he was a commanding presence in his own right. 
Are you not the servants of the great Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. See, if you're going to go into a, a country and you're going to overthrow the country, and part of overthrowing the country is you want, you want to bring them back as slaves, it does you no good to go in there and kill everybody, right? Because you've now defeated your purpose. So that's what they would do, is they would send out one person to represent this side, one person to represent this side. You get the biggest, the baddest dude you had, and you would square off. And if that person, you know, lost, then you became subjects to the other people. Check out verse 11 again. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed. What do we do? 40 days. This has been going on. Jump down to verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Now, I know we missed a section in there, but in that section that we, we didn't read, Jesse has, has basically got David to come out of the field and he goes, I want you to go check on, on your brothers. Okay, they, uh, Jesse uh, gets him. Uh, David, you're the shepherd. You're going to do this. Now, Think back to last week. David's job as shepherd is watching one of the stupidest animals alive. That's his job. And every day, he goes out and he watches sheep. And he's already been anointed king. Like Samuel has already come and done the deal with, with you're going to be king of, of Israel. And he goes back out. We talked about that last week. He goes back out and he does the things that he is supposed to do. And now, Jesse calls him and he wants him to be the first ever, if you will, Uber Eats. I want you to take this food and deliver it to your, your family. I want you to find out how they're doing. Bring news back to me. And it says that David went back and forth, back and forth to, to, to do this. He would, he would go back and take care of stupid sheep and then he would come and take care of his stupid brothers. I, I mean, it doesn't say stupid brothers, but you know, you get, you get the idea. And, and, and church, I just want you to know we can't get into this right now, but there's, there's a lesson here on true leadership in God's economy. 
And if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. It's part of the preparation of David becoming the king that God wanted. What was that you're gonna you're gonna serve other people while being anointed king, while some guy who's unfit to be king is in your place, and you're gonna you're gonna serve. That's another sermon. So David sets out. He's obeying his father. He's serving his brothers. And when David gets there, he drops off all the supplies, the cheese, the bread, the crackers, all that kind of stuff. He hears Goliath with his threats. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. David heard it. And the Israelites saw the man. They fled from him in great fear. You keep seeing this theme with, with the Israeli army under Saul's leadership. They keep fleeing from him in great fear. And, and, and here, here's, the, here's the thing. I like, like, you need to pay attention very closely to verses 25 and 26. Saul's offered them the world. I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to give you my daughter. You, you're going you're to be part of the family now. You, you, you don't have to pay taxes. You or your family. That's what you get. No man stepped forward. And there's David. He rolls up on the scene. And he says, what what, what what that guy just say? What what did he just say? And and and, and then he's asking, what, what, what's happening here with what Saul is saying? And so the men tell him, hey, this is what you get if you go out there and you and you fight him. And what's cool about David, David is not motivated by the cash and the prizes. He's not motivated by that. He is motivated by something else. David shows up and here's Goliath, and before he knows what the cash and the prizes are all about, he's already offended. He's offended at what this guy is saying about his God, and he is probably pretty offended at why nobody else who serves in the army of the Lord, is standing there cowering in fear. So David's not motivated by the cash. He's not motivated by the prizes. Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go. And the Lord be with you. 
Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over, his, over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. David's like, I'm your volunteer. You're looking for a guy to go out there? I volunteer for the job that no one else for the past 40 days has been willing to do. And here's the thing. Saul doesn't think David's ready. But David knows that he is prepared to face Goliath because God has been preparing him for this moment for years. As David is doing the day after day routine of watching sheep, he became very skilled at using rocks in a sling. And a couple of times, David had to use these skills to face lions and bears. And please do not miss the details of verse 35. David went after it. I mean, we got the stupidest animal alive. You have to have a human being to watch it because they'll just fall into a ditch and not know how to get out. You got, you got a person that is watching the stupidest, and one of the stupidest animals alive and who will just fall into trouble, will find trouble continually. That's, that's your job. And a lion comes and swoops one of these things up. And you know what David does? He goes after it. He grabs it by the hair. Now, y'all have seen my lion picture, okay? Like, like, I mean, I've had a lion charge a vehicle that I'm in. And I don't, I don't mean like he just moseyed on up here. I, I'm, I'm talking about before anybody could do anything, a lion got from me to where Ricky is in, in a matter of a second. And then he let out one of the most impressive sounds I have ever heard. And it happened so quick, if that thing wanted to be in the back of the Jeep with us, it could have been in the back of the Jeep with us. Okay? And, and it could have had his way. I'd have thrown Paul Tucker right there to that line in just a second, man. I mean, he's the dude that stood up and made the line mad anyway, so he deserved to go. <laughs> David's chasing after this thing. He, he, he's the one that goes after it. David goes on the offensive to attack the issue at hand. He was looking for the enemy to the flock. And verse 36 gives us the motivation for David volunteering for this task. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. It's personal. See, everyone else thought that they were part of Saul's army and that Goliath's threats were against the earthly king Saul. David knew better. The threats were against the armies of the living God. This was not one earthly king facing off against another earthly king. This was an earthly king challenging the king of the universe. This is the same exact war that Satan plays on us today. Church, the, the, the battles in your life are against God. Oh, they're attacking you. And, and, and you're in the middle. But, but the battles that are being waged on your life and are in your world, 
they are against God because Satan would love to do nothing more to God than to take one of God's children with him. It's not about you. It's about what Satan can do to God. It's the same thing right here. This was not a battle of the Philistines versus the Israelites. This was a battle of the Philistines versus God's chosen people. And the temptations that face that you face are all moments of faith-building opportunities. Every temptation, every, every struggle, every obstacle, every unpleasant experience is an opportunity for faith to be built in your life. But how do you respond? I mean, do you just... Apathetic, you don't care? Do you cower in fear? Because here's the thing, the, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. David knows this. You look at verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. That's faith. That's faith. So Saul's like, all right, we got our guy. I'll tell you what. Saul's like, I'm the champion here of Israel. I'm, I'm, I'm the king. I'm the leader of this army. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to dress you in my armor, which is the finest Israel has. It's the king's armor. We're going to give you one half the swords that the entire Israeli army has. We'll give it to you. And you're going to go out there and you're going to do your thing. The armor doesn't fit. David's like, I can't go in this. This is, this, this is not, that's not how I do things. But Saul's like, well, this is how we've always done things. It's starting to sound like a church, isn't it? We've always fought wars this way, so you need to fight wars this way. And David's over here like, yeah, but I'm not you. You know, I, I got a good relationship with God. I'm going to go do this thing. I'm in God's hands. I don't need your armor. Armor doesn't fit. Verse 40, we got to move on. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of the shepherd's bag, and with the sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bear in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and He will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved 
closer to attack him. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and he struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. And David picks up the head and he goes on a public speaking tour, showing everybody this is what happens when you defy the armies of God. So he leaves Saul, he goes down, he gathers five smooth stones. And Goliath is like really insulted. I mean, he's been waiting on somebody for 40 days. And this is the best you got. You got, you got a boy. And he, he's despised. He, he, he's upset by this. He is insulted that this boy is who Israel sends out. And so Goliath assures everybody that he, he isn't going to take it easy on David. He, he's going to give David's flesh to the birds and the wild animals. I'm going to do it right here. I'm going to kill you right here. And I'm going to let all of Israel know that's the best they got in your bird food. So Goliath comes at David with sword and spear, javelin. But David knows what he's fighting with. Verse 45 says, But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Notice that David is not facing the battle in the name of Saul. David's not going into this with, 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 hey, my experience, my training, my military background, my, because my brothers are in the army and they've taught me a couple of things that, that, that that's what's going to get me through this. David knows he's got one shot at this and that is facing the spiritual battle before him in the name of the Lord Almighty. David goes on to acknowledge in verse 47 that all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. He will give all of you into our hands. It's not about scheming. It's not about tactics. It's not about superior weaponry. It's about knowing whose battle we're fighting. This battle is the Lord's. So verse 48 is the difference, church, in believing in God and I believe God. That's the difference. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line. Please, do not miss this detail. The battle is before David. The giant is before David. The temptation is before David. And he does not wait for it to come to him. He is proactive. He runs directly toward 
the battle line. Now think about this detail. Like when I read through this, <coughs> looking for something new, looking for something more than the, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, or the, or the underdog story. When I, when I read this story, looking for something new, Lord, open my eyes, that line jumped off the page. Michael, what, what if I were to approach spiritual warfare the same way? What if you and I approach the spiritual warfare in our lives the same way? I know we didn't read the section, but this Goliath saga has been going on for 40 days. I mentioned that. And, and, and I don't know about you, but in my spiritual journey, man, the same battles keep reappearing over and over and over again. The same giants keep, keep showing up. Over and over. I mean, I've been a Christian for 36 years. I've been a professional Christian for 22 years. And you know what? The same spiritual issues that were present decades ago, man, they, they can still show up in my life. That same arrogance of, of the 20s and, and 30s and my 20s and 30s moves closer to attack. The bitterness that I have towards some people moves closer to attack. The sexual immorality, the temptation of sexual sin moves closer to attack. That grudge that I've been guilty of holding on to moves closer to attack. The apathy toward God and people moves closer to attack. And that self-esteem, that self-worth about myself, that doubt, that moves closer to attack. A sin of omission moves closer to attack. I'm willing to bet that you have some spiritual battles that have been moving closer to attack over and over and over again. And the believing in God mindset is I will wait for these battles to come to me. I will live in fear, not sure of the outcome that can be. I'm just going to give in again. I always have. I'm just going to screw up because I keep doing that. I can't help it. I'm just going to keep holding on to that thing because I always have. Oh, but the I believe in God mindset, I'll run to them because they are His battles. I'll run with the assurance and the promises of God's Word. I will go to those battles and He will fight them for me. I'm certainly there. I'm certainly involved. I'm not spared from having to face the giant. But He's fighting for me. If I believe in God. So the question, how? How does God fight these battles? 
What, what about the big giants? Or what about the little giants? Are they all the same? Well, go back to last week's sermon. Because the truth of David's the truth of David's preparation for, for the spiritual battles in life is found in the day-to-day routine of our lives. David faced jackals and hyenas. He faced bears. He faced lions. He faced all these things on a regular basis long before he faced Goliath. So the preparation for the spiritual battles, for the giants, for the believing God starts with the monotony of life. It starts with the little things. Am I honoring God? Am I glorifying God? Am I seeking God first? Am I being oh God, being obedient to God in the little things? Because the giants are coming. One of the Psalms that David wrote supposedly after this event is Psalm 27. I want to pray this over you this morning. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Thank you, Father that we can have that assurance in our lives. Help us to be a people who believes you and not just believes in you.